Welcome back to the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for the premiere episode of our main content for this very show. And that is long-form discussion with some people that I think you will find interesting, fascinating, and worthwhile. And my first conversation, I had the privilege of interviewing my boss, Mike Perry, who is a devoted father and husband and businessman, fellow friend and brother in Christ. And the over the course of the next hour and a half, you will have the privilege of just having a glimpse into my daily life and into the conversations that Mike and I have had over the last two and a half years. And it was about time that we sat down and recorded some of it. And I think you will find it incredibly beneficial. Uh, we cover topics of such as like uh, journey to Christianity, what it means to be changed by God, how do you raise a family on a balanced budget, how do you be a devoted father and, and care for children, and how do you navigate all of that in today's Christian context. I think you will find it very worthwhile, very edifying, and most importantly, this will add to your life. It will not be a waste of time. So I ask you to kick off your shoes, sit back and relax for the next hour and a half and enjoy a conversation and a message from a fellow brother and a Christian who is not seeking to be known. He doesn't seek to live a remarkable life. He just wants to be a devoted husband and father, but be devoted to God first and let God emanate from him. And I will tell you from a firsthand account, I can see that in his daily life. I see that testimony, and from a commoner such as Mike, I think this is incredibly important for the rest of us, for somebody who just wants to seek to do God's glory and love his family. Thank you guys for checking us out, and here is Mike Perry. Uh, thank you yes. for being on this. This is amazing for you being my, my first guest here. Uh, what what a journey it has been because I've actually told you about it for you know multiple months now that I was going to have this podcast, but uh, lo and behold, you're the first guest, so welcome. Well, I appreciate it, Mr. Crable. Thank yeah. you for having me on, and yeah, pleasure's mine. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I, I'll say you know, briefly before I, I get into a lot of these questions that I want to ask you, we've known each other for uh, more like two and a half two years. Two and a half years, yeah. yes, sir. Now, I, I met you... I guess informally because I always knew who you were because you played drums at Jackson Has Church, yep. and I always I pegged you as that curly-headed fellow playing drums. I actually didn't know who you were, but I knew of you, if that makes sense. Right? Did you Did you know? I mean, I, I don't know the story. Did you hear of me before Dave Schaefer connected us? I did not. No, it was a weekend here at Lanier. We were having some issues, and while we were waiting for some, some solutions to happen with our computer system, we were talking about needs and wants and desires here at Lanier. Your name came up, and he made the phone call right then. So that was the first time I'd heard of you. Mm. I'd probably seen you a dozen times when I wasn't closing my eyes up on stage drumming. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was the first time I'd actually heard about you. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, sorry that over the course of these many years you've had the privilege of of, of doing and knowing uh, me but uh, no thanks for hiring me uh, for, for those who, who don't know I we work together you're my boss so this is only a little intimidating but but not really likewise I think I'm the one that's intimidated oh, here stop <laughs> well the the reason I wanted to have you on is because I found you incredibly refreshing in how you approach Christianity and and how that interweaves in your family and I think it's a testament to just your 
your faith and your journey. And one of the things that I wanted uh, desperately to, to talk to you about is um, your experience in New York City, which was kind of like this, at least how I interpret it, was your kind of like reawakening. So uh, as you journeyed towards that, did you, did you grow up in the church? Like, was the church part of your life? Sure. Yeah, I actually grew up uh, in the church. Uh, my family, my parents were, were God-fearing people, and we have always attended a congregation. I have been part of three different uh, churches, actually, in my youth, with some, some charismatic background all the way to where I spent most of my youth, which was at a free Methodist church here uh, in Spring Arbor, Michigan. And uh, yeah, so I had you know plenty of experience in a Christian household. Uh, in Christian youth group uh, congregations, and and many of my friends were, uh, you know, professing Christians as well. So uh, I had grown up, but you put it correctly there, a, more of a reawakening, really. And I think for the first time, my heart, my ears, my eyes being open to a lot of things uh, when I went to New York City, and I could I could talk about that for for hours. I was there for nearly two years after graduating high school, and of course a lot happened personally, uh, spiritually, uh, professionally even, uh, coming out of New York City. But, um, you know, going back to kind of my introduction to New York, the reason I even went there, it occurred because of a visit, more or less, when my family went to uh, New York City together on my older sister's spring break. I went as, it was a sophomore basically. Uh, in high school, and I'm not sure how in-depth you want me to go initially on that, but but basically I was uh, attending services there at this church. This was just one of the many things we were doing on our trip. This isn't the reason we went, um, but it certainly was the the most important thing I did (laughs) while in New York because it was was life-changing. It set my my life on a different course for certain. but ultimately, if I had to boil it down, it was it was attending a few services there, and really for the first time in my life, um, despite having grown up in the church and and had those conversations all throughout my youth, you know, here I was at 16, face to face with with a couple men that that stood in the pulpit and and preached and had this anointing on them, this authority, uh, preaching straight from God's word and um, telling it like it is. I mean, really preaching the Word, and I was hearing a message that I may had heard before, but for, it felt like for the first time, mm. you know, death to self, all of these things that, um, you know, weren't, weren't really as prevalent, let's say, I guess, in, in what I had heard uh, up to that point. Um, and that, that, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell uh, what happened there, that initial, um, that initial trip. You know, I had went back home, got serious in my faith, uh, read scripture like I'd never read scripture before, prayed like I'd never prayed before, uh, got rid of some things in my life uh, that I refused to get rid of before. And because of that, I'd like to say because of that, you know, I hate to be cliche, but doors started opening. I had a desire to, to be in ministry at that time and um, serve full time. So I had literally written the church. Uh, as a junior, and um, this was between my junior and senior year, and expressed some interest in, you know, being a part of their ministry, 
Well, that made its way to one of their senior pastors. Um, and they, long story short, invited me to come out to New York City and do a, an internship with their youth pastor. And I was the first one that came outside of a Bible school, actually, that David Wilkerson had had in, in Pennsylvania, Mount, uh, Mount Zion School of Ministry. He would invite students, final year students, to go do an internship. So I was lumped in with that group. You know, the only outsider, I guess. Sure. And I was a young fellow. Yeah, and and yeah, speaking of that, like, what year is this for so this, reference? Correct. So this is 2001 is when I graduated, a long, long while ago. Yes. <laughs> you don't look that old. I have a few gray hairs since yeah. then. <laughs> but yes, um, so 2001 is when I graduated. So I, I set off for the big city. I was growing up, you know, here in, in Jackson, Michigan, and rural country boy. Um, so, so going there, you know, it should have been a scary thing, I suppose, or exciting, whatever you want to call it. I was one track minded. I was just there to serve mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to be a part of this ministry uh, because I believed in what these, these men were doing. Um, just a side note too, with the church, um, you know, that, that time I went as a sophomore, it, it it was the word. That's what I, I spoke of there when I said that there was a, a transformational experience, for lack of a better right. word. I don't really like that word in the church, but uh, I'm not looking for those. wasn't looking for that. Sure. But um, transformative time for sure. But it also, the, the worship out there was absolutely phenomenal. One of the things that they, they brought up from time to time was the fact that 103 nationalities were represented mm -hmm in this church body. Which the name of the church was? Well, it's actually Times Square Church. Okay. So it's it was at 51st and Broadway. So that was my address. I was at the northern end of Times Square. Which, I, which I've been there. I know for, exactly where that's at. For a year and a half. And um, non-denominational church, but there was, you know, they had at the time seven services or something like mm -hmm. that. And it was in an old Broadway theater. So um, just amazing. You you have three thousand people there from all walks of life, all yeah places from all over the world. It's probably know, congregating, and it was pretty probably pretty representative of, as we of, can of get heaven, of right? heaven, and yeah. you know singing in alongside of these brothers and sisters from from all all walks of life. A pretty special thing, but the leadership there was what really attracted me, and it was I give credit to all the the, the leaders I met you know over my my youth, but. Uh, like I said, I think I was in a place where I was hearing, and and uh, and listening. My eyes were open to to what they were, what God was saying through these men, and and I wanted to go be a part of that. So that's what took me there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I got there, two thousand one, um, it proved to be everything, and then some. Uh, what I expected from these men, these leaders, I arrived. In late August 2001, so everybody knows what happened in September yeah. of 2001. When I got there, I was very excited. I was ready to, you know, worship and and jump around and have a good time and and learn and meet and and do all of these things. But um, when I got there, attended the first service, the uh, pastor David Wilkerson, who was the pastor of was the the founding pastor of Times Square Church. Um, it was basically calling the congregation to a time of, of prayer. And our services, even the meeting times, were basically spent, um, you know, reading some scripture, but it mostly was, was prayer time. Hmm. 
uh, he was having all the elders, um, other pastors come up to the microphone, uh, you know, minutes apart uh, in between just the, the congregation praying on their own. And, you know, I was just a baby and a bit clueless as to what was going on. But, but Pastor David was really calling, um, calling the church to this prayer and saying that really he felt something was imminent. And he's always been that type of leader and, and, you know, is, and does hear from God. I, I believe that from the first, first time I'd met him. Um, but, yeah, long story short, uh, you know, a couple of weeks go by and September 11th occurs. Um, there's so much to say about that, but if we're sticking on, on this topic of leadership, um, whereas myself and some of the younger people there, understandably so, we're, we're rattled and shaken and yeah. confused and nervous and all of these things, um, immediately the leadership there took action and were cool, calm, collected, and prepared was really the, the best word for it. They, they called us all together uh, in one room, and we had a time of prayer, and then a group of individuals, myself included, went and got in a few vehicles that were loaded with all kinds of food and supplies. And these were trucks that were used for a mobile ministry there, the Raven ministry, uh, where they would go out and feed, feed homeless. Um, they had prepared a lot of supplies for um, a situation like this. You know, like I said, they were prepared. They'd actually stockpiled even more than what they, they normally would have. And mm -hmm. we got in these vehicles. We were in the back, and we were just praying, not knowing where we were going, just heading towards Ground Zero. Which would have been south, right? Which would have been south. So we're at 51st and Broadway, uh, the streets in New York City. You know, they'll go down basically to 1st Street, and then beyond that, you'll yeah. get into the names of streets, but you're talking roughly 70 blocks. Right, because um, it's down by Battery Park, if I'm not it, mistaken, right? It is, yep, just yeah. north of Battery Park. And, you know, you, you wouldn't have known that anything had even happened if you weren't watching a television, because when we walked out of that building to go get into vehicles skyscrapers are so tall it was a beautiful sunny day yes gorgeous yeah. um and it was so new that some people on the streets hadn't even heard you know that that far right. north so we're walking out and jumping in these vehicles and we start start heading towards uh ground zero you know i can't even see out the windshield at that point because we're just in the back praying and, and basically a straight truck um with a group of people but we got down around 14th street and they were already setting up uh, barricades at that point where mm -hmm. they wouldn't let anyone and fur further than that. But, um, you know, they, they allowed us and several other vehicles, um, to, to go through that barricade because we were having supplies for, for first responders. Uh, and we, we basically went right down to ground zero and we were there all day offloading trucks like ours, um, and setting up tables with, with food, water supplies for, for first responders coming off their, their shifts. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for doing that. First off, I mean that's that's an amazing it's, uh, again, testimony for you to be there, you know, at at that time. It was. I mean, it was. Uh, it, you hate to talk about it in, with words like special, you know. But I mean, it was a very formative thing for me. Obviously, yeah, of course. Um, how couldn't? How it could be? it not be? Right. But um, yeah, I mean, it was the closest thing I'd ever seen, and hope to ever have to see to, to war. I mean, you and sure. I are young fellows and have lived in a time in this country where it's been awfully easy, yeah. you know, for, for folks like us to, to not really have a full comprehension of what it was like for our 
you know, uh, grandfathers, great grandfathers who fought in wars and, and yeah. died and, and, and saw be- these things. But, it's because uh, of them that we've had a, a pretty easy life. Exactly. When it comes to not having to, to grow up in a wartime. Is, is that day something that's that you still think about? Is it still vivid in your memories at all? Um, it's it's not. Admit, uh, it's, it's surprisingly not, actually. There are aspects of it that are vivid, but it, it, was, it happens so quickly. It's really more of yeah. a fog with... Um, you know, some things sprinkled in there. I, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, seeing, seeing dust on on everything. You know, concrete. You know, sitting on top of cars. You know, smashing them down to the floor. Um, we, you know, we couldn't physically get close enough to Ground Zero to actually see it. Again, New York City's it's just a different place. You right. have to be right on top of a block to actually see what's, what's there. Sure. So we we're a few few blocks away when we're setting this up. But uh, rubble and everything, mm-hmm. you know, in the vicinity where we were. So, were were you down down there when the the World Trade Seven building collapsed? Did no, you actually see that? We okay. had not gotten. I wish I could tell you the time we actually arrived. It was relatively early. Do you recall what time the building fell? It was right around nine. They they were all everything was done by eleven a.m. or something of of that sort. Yeah, we we were not down there when a building fell, but it had to have been shortly shortly thereafter. That would have probably happened even in the truck. I mean, that's something that I didn't even recall seeing, you know, in person that morning. It would have uh, probably happened on the way down. Gotcha. I, I'm, I think, you know, for something that, that you have experienced like that, in, in combination with a ministry, uh, you've talked uh, immensely over the last couple of years about your, your affinity and just attraction to the ministry of Dave Wilkerson and what mm-hmm. he did. Can you describe, you know, briefly, like what what was it about him? Was it about his calling and how he got there, or was it just his authenticity to the gospel? Like, what was it that attracted you so much to that? And what what made it before you came back home? What was so forming about that experience for you? Yeah, I would say we have had so many good conversations. I'm so blessed to to learn from you on a daily basis. For the listeners, I tend to ask Michael a lot more questions than he asked me. And I, uh, this is, this is kind of on the flip side here. I'm usually the one asking the questions right. and he gives phenomenal it's about time. biblical answers. <laughs> but, um, if I had to sum it up with, with David Wilkerson, our tendency, you know, as people in general, or, and even in the church, we're not immune to this. We tend to prop people up yeah, and, you know, we look to whether it's Christian leaders or just just leaders in our government, you know, locally, regionally, you name it, uh, we look to men, and they never fail to to let us down, right? You know, and I'm not saying that David Wilkerson hasn't let plenty of folks down in his lifetime, but um, uh, David Wilkerson, there was a lot of this that I learned about him after the fact. You know, I I literally just just saw him preach, and then um, started to read his books once I got home. But um, the beginning of his ministry uh, really started in a, a quiet, humble, humble way. And from beginning to end, I've never really witnessed someone that was um, really more selfless. You know, I've had conversations with, with you, Michael, where I've, I've said I've really wondered what it would be like to be a family member of his because I could never really see him having his yeah. own kind of identity, which is the weird thing. I mean, yeah. we're all about individualism and self-identity mm-hmm. and all of these things, but he was never 
he, he just never turned off. I mean, he was, he was constantly, <laughs> mm-hmm. he was just Christ-like. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And, and you'd, you'd listen to him, um, and I, I don't even know that I can say, form a thought about that. It's, it's this, it's again, hearkening back to the message that I heard in New York City for the first time, which was flesh, you know, our, our sinful nature, our flesh, you know, left to ourselves, um, we will, we, we will basically destroy ourselves. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know, the need to, to, to basically die to yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all scriptural things. Right. You could, you could, you know, spout out scripture here on, on these subjects. And I'm not saying I hadn't heard those or even potentially read those, but for the first time I was hearing them and seeing them in this man and, um, you know, his, his book really kind of lays it out the, the best. He's he written several books, but The Cross and the Switchblade talked about the start of his ministry. That was his journey from a small rural town in Pennsylvania. He was the pastor of a very small rural congregation. And um, he spent his time doing his routines, much like all of us do, you know, reading and preparing his sermon and and, and having a good, comfortable life, well, God was challenging him to, to more and asking him to spend more time in prayer, more time in Scripture than he already was, uh, challenged him to get rid of his television set and dedicate the time that he, by his own admission, was wasted in the evenings watching probably what we would consider harmless television, mm-hmm. but mindless right. time. Um, Which that in and of itself for us American Christians is very convicting. Absolutely. You think about all the wasted time. Ugh. Absolutely. That, and what could you do with two solid good hours of reading and praying? Yeah. <laughs> what could come of that? Apparently not a whole lot because we don't do it very often. <laughs> exactly. But he, uh, he dedicated that time to prayer mm-hmm. and he would tell of his prayer time as uh, in descriptive ways that I personally had never experienced to that point. I couldn't understand the idea of, of laying prostrate on the floor and, and feeling the weight and not being able to get up, you know, that, that basically I was, I was supposed to be there mm-hmm. and, and, and pressed in. And, you know, just these descriptors that I, I had never experienced. Um, but it, it wasn't that that was, was appealing. It was, you know, what came out of it was... David was basically told by God to go to New York City. He had seen a newspaper, back when they existed, newspaper <laughs> yes. sitting on his desk there that day in his study. And he got up from this prayer time and saw this, and God was telling him to go to New York City uh, and visit these uh, gang members that were on trial for murder. They were on the cover of this newspaper. And he wrestled with that for a time finally listened and made a trip to New York City, never having been, not knowing where he was going. He took along an associate pastor of his. And they made their way to the city, attempting to speak to these boys. And they did not have the opportunity to do so. They uh, attempted to, to do it through you know, the, the jails and um, law enforcement, and they, they weren't able to do it. But they were able to uh, be within earshot of these boys on the steps of a courthouse when they were making their way mm. in. 
And that's and, a lot of dedication to do this. Yes. And he, he attempted to, to speak to these boys, you know, right there on the, on the court uh, steps. And again, didn't have any success, but he got some attention from the media and they'd even published some things, you know, in the newspaper about him trying to reach these boys. Um, he, he went back to Pennsylvania after that, that experience, uh, really, really ashamed, you know, the, uh, his congregation thought he was a little, little crazy for, hmm. for having followed God's leading there and really nothing coming of it. Sure. And, uh, he didn't know what to make with it, make of it. Um, it was, it was quite a while before God told him to go back again. And again, he, he was attempting to reach these boys. He didn't know how, uh, just to go back. And he wrestled with that. You know, he was still fresh off that, that shame of coming back, uh, you know, quote unquote unsuccessful, yeah. you know, in his, his reach there for these boys. Uh, and when he went back to New York City, he didn't know how else to uh, get a hold of them uh, other than seek out their parents. So he went to the neighborhoods uh, in which they lived, asking around, literally trying to find out where they lived. And there were some kids on the street that were gang members of the boys in prison. And they recognized this guy as the pastor that was trying to reach them from the court steps. That's insane. And it is. And from there, I mean, there's plenty else that happened, but that was the birth of his ministry. He was led down into uh, the place where these gang members met and, and came face to face with everything they were dealing with from, from uh, drug addiction, you know, sex, um, and, and parents, you know, not, not being in these, these kids' lives. Sure. And you can yeah. imagine everything involved in that. But um, from there, his, his ministry uh, started and ultimately culminated in starting Teen Challenge, which we all know they're in, in almost every, you know, metropolitan area all over sure. the country at yeah. this point. Um, and, and that's something that maybe our listeners didn't realize, like that emanated from Dave Wilkerson. That was right. his ministry. Right. And that that's the beauty of it. I mean, we all look, again, we all look to men. We all, at least those of us in the, in the church body, we want Christianity to be appealing and right. reach the masses. And yeah. That's all great, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely want salvation for as many as possible. Um, you know, are we doing it for the right reasons? And that, that was what was unique about David. He was, he was simply calling, following God's leading. I mean, his books were filled of story after story about uh, waiting on God and, and God fulfilling something or, or providing a need in the last hour, you mm. know, and it was full of yeah. that. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a challenge to any of us. You know, we, we, we plan, we plot, we scheme, we, we may right. have great intentions. You know, how much do we follow God's actual leading and, and spirit? And, and do we, are we able to adapt and change and, and follow that leading when it changes? Because like I said, David went there for, for one reason. His, you know, in, in his mind, right. he ended up being used in a, in a totally different right. direction for, I don't remember exactly how many years, maybe seven or eight years before he ever even got to meet these boys. And one of them, a uh, boy on trial, Nikki Cruz, uh, he ended up, up coming to Christ and he was, uh, he had an amazing ministry hmm. uh, himself. I mean, so ultimately, yeah. you know, those boys that he, he sought out to reach, 
Uh, many of them ended up uh, coming to Christ, but it was uh, a long time later, and, and God went and took him off in a different direction. But um, the humble beginnings, I mean, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really seeking to do anything other than, than you know, fervently pursue Christ. He, he spoke of uh, hours and days, you know, out in the fields praying and just seeking Christ. He's a guy that just loved, loved the Lord. And you don't, you don't see a whole lot of dedication like that around too often. Yeah, and you actually bring up a very, very good point that, you know, you're a business guy. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're teaching me a little things about business. And one of the things that you don't get a return on your investment immediately, you're going to lose the faith of your backers. You're going to lose the faith of potential colleagues around you, supervisors. However, in this case, you know, God being our, you know, our boss, our, our supervisor, calling us to do something, he already knows the end goal. But when we don't get what we think we should get when we're obeying God, oftentimes that, that period of despondence that follows, that what you described, mm-hmm. especially th- those people who believe in him, who when you mentioned shame coming back and saying, what was that whole trip for? Was that a waste? And, and yet it's a seed that's planted. And I, I think we're so much in this country married to the idea that if I'm the one to plant the seed, if I'm God's servant, then I'm entitled to see the results. Right. And, and I, I don't see any of that in Scripture at all. And so what you're getting at is, yeah, the, the fact is that he, he had to go back. He had to be willing. And I think Satan sometimes can use that, that period of discouragement to just say, well, God, you didn't use me last time. I guess I was listening to myself. Or, or Satan will somehow twist it and say, you know, if, if you were doing what God really wanted you to do, you would have seen the results. And, and that's just so, you know, that's like the an, antithesis of, of what we do in America as far as business. Because you don't, you don't have the... You don't have the luxury sometimes of playing the long game. Like, hey guys, don't worry, it's a ten-year investment. Like, well, we're bleeding money right now. We don't, we don't have that kind of time. Am I off there? I guess in that, in that parallel. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it makes you stop and think about. Uh, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of us, and and how many of us, you know, would be discouraged from, from that not happening. And then the sad part is, is yeah, what did God have for you next that you missed out on? All right. <laughs> because because you believe that lie, you know, that you failed yeah, um, or, or came short in some way. Well, well, lo and behold, God had a lot in store for you next because after, like, when you wrapped up in, in New York and came back here, this, this, is, this is a great question because this, this kind of transitions, like, you, you take that, that experience, and then this, this eventually leads you back to this area, and from what I understand, you didn't really have like a the biggest of plans. You didn't have everything laid out, but you eventually meet your wife. And for anyone who's always remotely interested in relationships, you know Jessica, whom I'll be well, actually interviewing. Which I, I guess I'm even more nervous for interviewing boss's wife than I am the boss. But <laughs> but how did you meet her? How did you make your way back here and, and eventually like start your family and and lay down roots in Michigan? Because you were not always planning on being here. So like that's part of the. The, the, the influx of like you're here now you've been you've laid down roots in mid Michigan which I'm grateful for but right. but how did you go from New York back to here getting a family school and everything yeah so I was in New York for basically uh, almost two years uh, a one year internship turned into a, a part time job there actually it was a full time job on a part time salary <laughs> gotta love that and that's in New York City yeah. so oh you know. goodness the church is always good at doing that. <laughs> Yeah, basically my, uh, we'll call it a stipend, 
my my salary was enough to buy a, a cozy little place in Spanish Harlem. So me and a buddy from Iowa were living there for about eight months before I decided to come home. Um, the decision to come home, it, I had extremely, admittedly even today, I had extremely mixed feelings about it. There's absolutely no way I could ever sit here and say I wish I had stayed because my life has been so blessed, my wife, my family, um, everything from that time. But I did have mixed feelings about coming home. Um, I loved the ministry I was a part of. I always had the desire to uh, go to college and further sure. my education. And honestly, it was just not that feasible living in New York City, right. working for the church and doing school full time. So education had a big part to play in my decision to come home uh, and do school here in, in Michigan. Um, and, and equally as much the decision to come home and be near uh, Jessica, who is my wife today, and who I met uh, all the way back in fifth grade, actually. Oh, man, actually. everyone's going to love that. You know yeah, that. yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of stories there, obviously, growing up... Uh, uh, "Quote unquote dating, whatever we called it, going out right. back then, you know." But but yeah, I met Jessica as a fifth grader. Coming up into sixth grade, I was visiting the junior high building and taking a tour. All right. And lo and behold, my tour guide, blonde-haired, blue-eyeshadowed Jessica. I always like to throw in the blue eyeshadow. Oh there. man, do you do you remember that day pretty vividly? Absolutely. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, that's the first time I'd I'd seen Jessica and. Uh, when I got to the building, I, I pursued her immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's older than you, right? She is old, she's a year older oh, than Oh, man. Me. We'll, we'll yeah. keep that on for the record. I will, I will, I will not bring that up later. Yeah, so she's 28. I'm 27. <laughs> okay. Sounds no, good. No right kidding. A little older than that. You 29 and 30. I, you all know when I graduated high school. Um, early. You just graduated <laughs> early. So. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, I had a relationship with, with Jessica on and off throughout my school years, uh, being a young, dumb man, boy, <laughs> I guess is the better word, at the time. Um, I was always very interested in Jessica, and we had a relationship up until really um, the middle of high school. Mm. You know, God really shook me up at that time, and Jessica was a, a first-generation, uh, we'll call it, you know, first-generation born-again Christian in her family as well. And she was surrounded by some pretty awesome people at that time in her life. So uh, most of our, you know, our, our junior, senior, her sophomore year, um, you know, we had dedicated to our, our friends and friends and God, really. We were pursuing him. And um, that's what really made my decision even to, to go to New York, um, I guess, a little easier. Sure. You know, we, we, we didn't have that relationship at the time. You weren't tied down. Right. Now, but did you think about her often while you were there? Absolutely. Okay. She even came to visit uh, the summer. I guess I, you know, I, I went out there in August. She came the following summer okay. in between school and stayed with uh, a gal from the church. So she was there for, uh, you know, at least, a, I want to say it was at least a six weeks or something well, like I that. Did, I didn't in, realize in that. Was it, was it really because you were there? Was that, was that the reason <laughs> it had to be, right? Yeah, partly, I'm sure. Uh, okay. I'd like to think so. Oh, okay. Right. I hope. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that relationship started to develop again before I came home. You okay. know, she was there and, and we spoke often. Uh, so a huge, huge reason, obviously, that I came home. And, it wasn't until uh, a few years later, really, that we were actually engaged, and, and I was actually married my senior year in college. 
okay. uh, at the University of Michigan, and she was she had just graduated herself uh, with a teaching degree from Spring Arbor University. But um, yeah, where do we go from there? A, a lot's happened uh, since then. We have uh, we were married in two thousand five. Uh, forgive me, honey, if I got that wrong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she's gonna listen we to this. Married, <laughs> we were married in May of two thousand five. And uh, since then, we have had uh, several dogs. I told Michael it's going to come in this order for him more than likely. He'll, he'll start. <laughs> I don't want this. He'll start the coffee and then get married and have the dog and then the children. That's typically the way it goes. That's the order, so, right? He, yeah, you get, I'm you still get trying ready. to get him that cup of joe. Yeah, I'm, I'm anti-coffee, but <laughs> that's, that's the domino effect. It starts with coffee first, it's right? basically how it happened for me. Yeah, okay. We, uh, we did the... We did the coffee, we, we did the marriage, we did the dog, and then we started having children. Uh, our oldest boy was, was born, my firstborn, uh, Jordan, was born in 2007, and we've basically had one child every two years since then. Uh, and you're due, you're due, so that, that, means, that means you have six kids now. We have six children. And I've had the privilege of, of speaking to all of them, yes. and uh, have all six of them run away from me <laughs> at, at one time or another. Uh, yep, but they're run uh, towards you and pile on top of you. Uh, they are, Kick um, you in the shins. Yes, yes, they are amazing children. I will say uh, no one has tried to convince me that children are a good thing more than you. And I've also witnessed like the joys uh, of children. You know, I, I'm an only child myself, so I had no experience with siblings. I was close to my cousins growing up, but I mean, that's faded over time. Sure. So, you know, friendships come and go. But just the idea of having siblings now, seeing the joy that your kids have with like being with one another, it, it's amazing. Like you'd rather hang out with each other than their friends. It seems sometimes. Like I, I sure. look, I look at the love that you know Jordan has uh, for your youngest, Claire, and it's it's real. It's not fake. There's that protective nature there, and, and that's I think it's got to be from parenting and you guys listening to God. And it's funny during our conversations about your children. That's one of the main questions I had to ask you because you've said yeah, having children is the best part of life. And for those who, you know, I, I'll, I won't put words in your mouth, but it's like, I, I, you don't understand people who just don't like kids in a way or the parents who have kids and they're just, they're just, they seem miserable. It's like a, it's a chore to them. It's not something enjoyable. So, so what is it, you know, what is it about raising children for you? Why do you find so much joy in it? And, and do you have any advice in particular to, to parents who are just struggling maybe? Well, I can certainly relate to the parents uh, being exhausted and, and feeling that, uh, you know, the chore of, of parenting. Uh, it certainly is uh, a heavy weight, and it takes a lot of hard work, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, putting off your own agenda and, and things that you once did um, for, for the sake of, of spending time with them and, and teaching them. Um, but, yeah, it's... You know, we've talked we've talked at length about about children. We've talked about um, you know. I think what it really boils down to, and I'm I'm not by any means attempting to toot my own horn, uh, but what it really comes down to is is what your what your agenda is. I mean, it's I'm sure. You know, the question for me really is 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 why not. Um, why not have kids? Why not have children? Um, and like anything in life, if you really question, you've talked a lot about one of probably the, the main words I've heard you said since I've known you in two and a half years is questioning motive. Yeah. You know, that's a word that you've, you've thrown around a lot. And, and I have admittedly thought a lot more 
about since then in, in every aspect of life. Um, and this is one of them. I mean, what, what are your motives for having children, mm-hmm. you know, to begin with? Um, and it's, uh, there certainly isn't, if you're a selfish person, kids are, are going to be a very difficult, they're very difficult for you. Yeah. <laughs> to put it, it mildly. To put it mildly. It's, um, it's tiring. It's grueling. You're basically, uh, you're not living for your, yourself at that point. Um, like I said, things that you once did, um, you know, going out, going out to movies, uh, uh, doing, doing things with friends, things like that. They, they do tend to fall by the wayside because we simply only have so much time in a day. And, uh, the more kids you have, obviously the more time is going to be demanded by those children. Uh, for for various reasons, but right. Um, basically, you know, we didn't set out to have six kids. We we had our first child, and that's no problem. Where I want to go from here? It doesn't have to be perfect. This yeah. is like this is. I try to be as. I mean, I'm not gonna edit all the ums or uhs or all this. I'm not gonna do that. Like it's it sure. takes away from all. Well, one, it's it's a heck of a lot of work. Uh, and then then secondly, it's. You know, I think it takes away from the authenticity. Like people, people want to have it be relatable. Sure. Um, with with every decision that Jessica and I have made, really since we were married, whether it was children, um, you know, jobs, um, where we attend church, friendships, et cetera, et cetera, uh, those decisions come on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. We didn't set out to right. have six children from day one. Uh, we had one. We experienced the the absolute joys of it, and that's mm-hmm. not even necessarily the reason that we had number two. It wasn't just because we wanted to experience more joy. Sure. It was, um, you know, what's the reason for not having the second child? You start to explore those reasons, and very rarely you know, with maybe the exception of, of health and things like that. I can understand there are reasons for, reasons for not having more children. Right. Certainly, you and I have discussed that specifically. Yeah, in the case um, of my mom medically just couldn't have any more exactly, kids. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there are certainly understandable reasons for not, but certainly in our society, the most prevalent reasons are usually, you know, either based on fear-based decisions, you know, of having more or, you know, kind of selfish decisions for not having more or just kind of having your own plan for your life, and this is, this is it. You know, I hate, I hate to even say as difficult as it is, I would hate to hear anyone throw in the towel and say, I just can't handle another one. Yeah, I, mean, I don't consider that a valid excuse either. <laughs> yeah, which because that's that brings up one of the the questions of like some people uh, will say that you know I just can't afford it, and for for people that come to the conclusion that you know this is where we are at peace with this decision, which, you know, hopefully comes through fasting and prayer, reading scripture. Because God forbid we allow, you know, the Lord to direct our paths in this, which is something that it just seems that it falls by the wayside. Um, So if someone comes to the conclusion without praying, without fasting, that's like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. I can't afford it. You've, you've like reviled at that whole notion of can't afford it. And, And I will say that, you know, considering what you do, you're not a, in, unless you're unless you're hiding and just holding out on me. You're not a multi-billionaire, and, but yet you get you, you get by with six kids. You you have you, you work and you have. I mean, from what I understand, you have two jobs. 
and you're willing to put in the time for it. And, and Jess, she's constantly busy with the kids. And in fact, I know that she homeschools. Mm -hmm. So the idea of not enough time that, that gets thrown out right out the door. Cause I, I see the investment in your, in your kids and your family, but money that was never, it, it, it seemed like for me, it's kind of odd because I've grown up with people who talk about expenses more than maybe a lot of other families. And so when I kind of brought up that whole notion with you, like last year, you were just like, ah, you're just not trying hard enough because it, it's like it's not even a consideration. You know, right. when you had Claire, which I was I was thrilled. I was like, oh, wow, you're going to have number six. And, and it's like that's another mouth to feed. That's just more more stuff. But it's like, who cares? It, it, it's not like you don't think it's important. It's just such a non-factor for having kids. And I think that it goes back to motive. So why isn't why isn't the finances like the even a big deal? It sure, seems. sure. Well, if you had talked to me 15 years ago, know, before I was having children, I, I had a very different take on this. Mm. Um, God has certainly worked on me, um, like I said, with every day. And you said it best right there when it doesn't matter if we're talking about children or any aspect of your life. If you are seeking God mm. and asking for his wisdom in every decision, um, he'll make that path, you know, right for you. Um, and 15 years ago, if you had asked me, you know, I would have told you I was having X number of children and they were going to do this and go to this college and kind of fit the mold, um, that at least I grew up with in my generation. Sure. There was always the next step. Yep. You know, this was just the next phase of life you go into. And I was very rigid in my thinking there as far as how this life was going to play out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I have uh, definitely been, been challenged that way over, over the last 15 years of my life. Um, and and I, even today, I mean, it's, it's every decision we make for our children, whether it's, it's schooling, uh, sports, activities they're involved in, down to you know, the television show they watch, the simplest of things, um, you know, we're, we're seeking, we're seeking God's counsel in all of this. Um, it's not, and it's not the same for, for every child. You know, that's another thing I, I said early on when we started the homeschooling, uh, venture here, it, it wasn't anything that Jessica and I had experienced as a youth. We didn't have any family members, friends that were homeschooled, any of this. It was just a decision that we faced at a specific point in time, and we followed God's leading in that decision, mm -hmm. uh, even though it wasn't necessarily the, the easiest thing to do. Uh, when I graduated high school, did I think that, you know, for the, the course of my life, my wife wouldn't work and have a earned income? No. You know, I had my right. own plans. I, I wanted to retire at X, yeah. X age. All of these things. Because it's what it's expected, right? Correct. And... You know, we, we, we made those decisions at a point in time, and all I can sit here today and say with certainty is God has absolutely blessed all of those decisions mm -hmm. uh, in every aspect of our lives. That, that's all I can say because you're right. I'm no, you know, I'm an average Joe. <laughs> you know, I, I have right. a, a family, a budget, um, always have. Uh, God has blessed us especially as of late, we're, we're doing some new things, uh, some new, some new businesses. And, uh, we're very thankful for what, what's, uh, going to come of that. 
but I truly believe it's in part, even if just a small part, because we have, you know, made these decisions regardless of, of kind of the outcome. Yeah. Really. Um, you know, the answer to that question about, you know, you know, not having children because of finances or something like that. I mean, that's all, it's really all fear-based. I mean, I don't, the cliche things, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, truly God will provide, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, not just financially, mm-hmm. you know, spiritually, emotionally, uh, all of these things, if you're seeking him in any area of your life. Um, but including finances, I truly, truly believe that with our family. Um, we've been on, on one income and lived on a tight budget and I could tell you exactly what it takes to actually get by. Yeah. And it's a shockingly low number, Ver- Michael. Versus, yeah, versus like what you, you think. It and is. I would imagine that, um, would you have believed yourself if once you had that lower number and you had talked to yourself 15 years ago, would you have believed? Absolutely not. No. Now, now will, will expenses be much greater, you know, bigger ticket items like college and braces oh, and these things later in life? Absolutely. But at least what you can get by on. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't have believed that. No, well, well absolutely that, not. Well, that, that's an interesting thing. You say get by and us Americans, we get by <laughs> on surplus. And, you know, that's something that you know, the, the whole pandemic taught me is that, you know, I've got to go to the store cause I'm out of something when I have like three of it left. So like for me being out of something means I'll run out of it in a month. Right. Because I'm just used to this surplus. I, I'm used to this, you know, I, it, and ultimately it's greed, right. uh, but it's fear-based of like, why, wait a minute, why am I not relying just on my God-given senses? I'm driven by this fear of not having something, but I have it. And, and so fear is driving my decision-making, which looking at it on the surface, it's completely irrational. So when, when it comes to like sticking to a budget and in trying to, you know, you know, live within these certain means, I wonder if we have to redefine what means is. What what is what is that getting by look like? And, and do you think that might be one of the main factors of why people can't stick to a budget? Because we, we don't know what that getting by is. I mean, you know, it, I know it comes down to discipline, but is it is it because we're setting too high of expectations? So when we exceed it, um, we we are we are left, you know, saddened. We we're you know we we just Maybe you're left to the conclusion that budgeting doesn't work. It's just to each their own. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm sure. getting at there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are, are a lot of reasons that, you know, folks either don't uh, ever seek to budget, ever stick to a budget, or, or, you know, find value in it. I'm sure there are, are plenty of folks, you know, uh, myself included. I don't claim to have had a, a you know, extensive background in personal finance, even at a young age, that was something that was sought out by myself at a specific time in life. And I was very thankful to come across, you know, uh, certain plans and and folks that I really highly respect and, and have followed those, you know, advice that they've given. Um, But I'm sure, yeah, a lot of our, a lot of our country certainly uh, simply has a lack of knowledge and understanding on even how to budget. Mm -hmm. Um, There is rampant, like you said, greed and just our desire as consumers to consume as much as possible yeah. and have, you know, from a, a t-shirt to a, a car or house, you know, and everything in between, uh, the best of the best and, and, uh, outdo the Joneses. Uh, but, um, certainly, uh, certainly for those folks that, uh, understand, you know, 
what truly has been, you know, given to them or on loan, we'll, yeah. we'll call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everything we have is not our own. And if you have that understanding, um, you know, that translates to you, frankly, not caring to have the best of everything. Sure. Um, it, it makes, uh, it is a discipline, but certainly more of a mindset of, of, of realizing, um, you know, what isn't, isn't really, really mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, there's a, uh, Go ahead. No, it's saying who gave you those resources to begin with. Exactly. And I think this kind of brings up a, a point of stewardship. That I don't know if that's taught enough in the church. You're talking about from personal finance. I wish, you know, for us, we would, a lot of us get back to Sunday school. And sure. part of that, you know, is, you know, it's that, it's that elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. And certainly hardly any pastor wants to preach about is tithing. And talk about a budget, but then you have the arguments of do I tithe 10% of my net or my gross income? And... You know, if you really believe that this, all this isn't, you know, ours to begin with, it's on loan, and it's up to us to be good stewards of it. I, I just don't see that being taught enough in church, and and telling people it's okay to tithe. Now, that's assuming they can trust the church with their resources. If the if the, you know, board uh, are good stewards themselves, because you know, as a society, we like to operate in debt. If we don't have enough money to do something. We still do it anyway, for the most part, and that and that's not everyone. I'm not going to lump every church in that by no means. You know, from my my experiences, I mean, I don't know hardly any churches that aren't in debt. I mean, thankfully, the church that I'm I, I am pastor at, we, we are not in debt at all, and, right. and that's and that's a blessing. But that comes through discipline, which again comes back to a motivation and an understanding of of finances and and how God can use money. In but when greed, I mean, Jesus warns about greed more than any other sin in the New Testament. And if we truly understand that and, and believe that the root of the love of money is the root of all evil, the love and the desire, the pursuit of it, and yet that invades us as Christians, it comes into our household, it, it impacts every area of life. I mean, my dad taught me or told me growing up that he goes, they have those nights where he would just lie awake saying, I don't know how I'm going to pray. For, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. But, you know, he could have just laid there and just worried, right. but letting it go and realizing it doesn't have any control, like that's where the peace came from. So when I hear you always talk about like just not having enough money, it's like, hmm, I don't, that shouldn't stop somebody, especially when it comes to children, but anything in, in life. There's, right. there's, there's another way. I think that's what you're, you're getting at, but it comes back to where do you believe all of this is coming from in the first place? Do you uphold money at this like high level? Is it a place of idolatry? Or do you consider it a gift? Right. Because I think you would, if something's given to you, you're more apt to be more responsible or take more care with it. You know, if you gave me a present, I'd probably not just throw it around. But if I bought myself something, you know, it's, I have a little more stakes in it. I can throw it around or do whatever, but I'd try to keep it with more care. I just don't know if we do that as Christians when it comes to our jobs, our income, and everything else. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I'm feeling that more now. You know, I'm get, getting older, and uh, again, I've got a few things going on where, um, you know, God, God's blessed some some ventures here that we're doing, and I've had times where I've thought, you know, you, you basically feel the weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even the weight. It's it's just that responsibility of how you handle this and what you do with it becomes very very tangible. And you feel that, uh, feel the weight of that. 
Um, you know, I'm driving a 15 year old minivan around that, that looks, looks like garbage. You know, mm. you've seen this and, and I truly don't want to, you know, I, I might have a nice late model truck at some point, right. but there's, there's really the desire to pursue those things. I just know they'd be for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. That's just me yeah. not knocking you guys hey, out there driving those $60,000 no. trucks. I love them. Th- that's that's them. <laughs> this is you. And this you know, I will say, unlike those guys, merging is never a problem with a, with a vehicle <laughs> like that, you know? Right. Clear out of the way, especially if you get, if someone hits you like that, that's got to make your day when it comes exactly. to the insurance claim. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Headed to Florida, you honey. You don't feel as bad about the door dings in that no, van. No, not at all. Sure. What, um, now, you, you've, You've grown up in the church. You, you've you've shared you've shared a little bit uh, of your testimony here about uh, you know coming back um, in, in this area and and since you and I have gotten to know each other, we've talked extensively on just just our thoughts on on church, I mean, a critical and and complimentary uh, towards it. Now you you've had the the privilege, I guess, of, of experiencing like a lot of people going to different churches experiencing different forms of worship, different pastors, mm-hmm. and, and that's a luxury we have in this country. We it have a, basically a whole buffet. And, and what it has, you know, what the motive of the church tying back to your children, that seems to you be, to be the most important thing in, in trying to find a church. Like if, if you're having a good time and you believe it's edifying, but your children aren't going to learn anything, you're leaving that church, you can go to another one. And, and describe, can you describe that? Because I, I don't know if parents, especially newer parents, take that into account when they start attending a church right. or stay at the one that they've always been at. So how, how do you decide a church? How did you and Jess find the home that you found now? Yeah, yeah, that's actually, that's exactly what happened. We, when we moved, um, we were living on the east side of the state when we were first married, and we moved back to this area to start work here at, at the, my family business. Um, we attended a, a local church who was, you know, at the time anyway, uh, a church that I had attended as a youth, and um, at the time we were basically looking for something for our very young children. I mean, we had uh, nursery age children and you know first grader type situation um, where we were looking for some sort of curriculum, some sort of teaching uh, that was taking place, and we were obviously familiar with the area, so. Uh, took the opportunity to visit, you know, a handful of, of churches that we had never attended or just knew a little bit about. And uh, we did start attending a church here uh, in Jackson and were there for, for nearly 10 years. And the main reason really for us going there, I, I do have to say, uh, you know, whether it's good or not, was really for our kids. Hmm. Uh, we, we really yeah. appreciated the uh, the level of, of teaching and curriculum that was taking place uh, for a very young age group. And that was at least, you know, unique amongst the, the few churches we had visited. Mm-hmm. So we had made that decision um, to attend there. Um, you know, since then, we've, again, my oldest boy just turned 13. And, and for the majority of his youth, we were at, you know, a single church uh, just prior to the the pandemic here and, and churches, uh, church buildings being shut down uh, or electing to, to, you know, not meet in person, uh, we had made the decision again to, to kind of phase out of one particular church building mm-hmm. and uh, attend another. And that, again, was, was somewhat related to, to the children and being 
you know, their involvement in other community groups, whether it's homeschooling, co-ops, uh, sports, the community in which we actually live and have another business. Um, a lot of these children that they are with are attending this, this other church, and they have a very good uh, youth program for middle schoolers, high schoolers. Now, again, I have six children running mm -hmm. the gambit there. Right. But, um, you know, the main push there was, was uh, a youth group for the, the older kids to really start getting plugged into. And it was the younger kids that still have a lot of friends in those, oh, yeah. you know, those areas. Um, and, you know, I, I'm certainly, as an adult, you or I are, are by no means immune to not being plugged into groups and oh, yeah. having relationships and these things. And those are all important. But as a parent, you know, I feel the weight of that for my children much more than for, for myself. You, yeah. So, because you have the autonomy to to go and seek out other forms of discipleship, kids just don't have absolutely have that. And as a parent, that's your that's your first charge. Absolutely. And I mean, as far as, as as information and and teachings go, I mean, the amount that you can find strictly teaching, yeah, you know, online even is is absolutely top notch, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but the relationships that are going to occur, you know, and uh, for, for my children, you know, I want those real tangible uh, relationships uh, for them with friends. And, and that was really the, the decision recently to make a change in the, the church building we attend anyway. Um, as far as churches go, you know, in general, though, it, it's, again, my, my youth up until 16-year-old, my parents had attended about three churches. They were mm -hmm. involved in a church plant early on. Uh, and, but again, we spent most of our youth at one particular church. And I found I found plenty of value in that in developing relationships in those places. But as an adult, uh, I'm a bit odd in in the sense that I personally would find if it was just me and my wife, I would find it uh, much more appealing even just to visit, you know, and, and be a part of the church body at large in Jackson. Mm -hmm. I, I would I would enjoy attending multiple multiple churches. I may sound strange in that. I understand people like to get plugged in and be in, in one place. But for me personally, um, I found it incredibly easy to to get comfortable. And I found more value in moving physically, yeah. Yeah. you know, moving around and meeting people. And, and well, It's got to harken back to a little bit. I mean, I would say, if it's not at least in the forefront of your mind, a little subconsciously, that once you tasted what you did in New York City, 103 nationalities, sure. it's pretty stagnant back here in Mid Michigan, <laughs> like it is a lot that across is. America. You get you get connected, and and churches have a tendency to to combine like-minded people, right. and that tends to go away from the 103 nationalities. I mean, for better or for worse, I'm I'm not going to speak to the motive by any means on right. that. But right. when you experience something like that, I mean, I, I did not have any sort of experience like you did, but I had a formative moment at college. It was at a Olivet Revival that we did at in the fall and it was my my freshman year. I remember the song I listened to on the way to on the way to uh, on, on the way to was was it the college college church Nazarene. That's where we held revival. Uh, at least in the evenings and it was a series of seven services over three days. You know, every every morning it was chapel it was special and then in the evening they had a 
revival service, and it was one of the evening services where, man, I felt the Holy Spirit more than I ever had before. Now, mm-hmm. it very could have well been the drums that came in during the last song, absolutely. <laughs> but it, it was real. Like, I went down the altar, and I just, it, it's not like I rededicated my life to God. I just had this overwhelming sense of the Spirit, and I, I it was just this little taste of, Michael, if you want to die to yourself, if you want to experience what you just experienced, this is not just a one-time thing. You have to put in a lot of effort and time. That was very humbling. And honestly, for the next couple of years, I really wasn't willing to put in the time. Right. I, I, I was confused by what I experienced because it was such a spiritual high for me. And I had so much support because there were like-minded people around. And I've never experienced that in the church since. I, that, that type of emotional high. I've had the spiritual gratification of seeing amazing things happen. But when, when you have all of those things like firing on all cylinders... It was just ripe for 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 something. That would it was God like saying, "Hey, I'm going to prepare you for something greater." That's unfortunately going to take your stubborn, stubborn sense of, of self many years to to realize again. Right. But for me, church was for the longest time trying to seek that feeling, but it was only to have that high again. It was not because of God. It wasn't because right. uh, what He was going to teach me. It was just chasing that high. And I would imagine for somebody such as yourself, you find it just a little more authentic when you can you can see and experience different things because that's what you were presented with for those years right. in New York City. You had different perspectives, different languages. That, that That's a different side of the kingdom that if we're back here in rural Michigan, you don't really get a whole lot. I mean, I, am I wrong there? Am I way off base? No, not at all. Um, you know, you mentioned, I, I like hearing about your, your experience there. It, it brings back you know, memories uh, that I had, tidbits here and there, but uh, a baptism even mm. as a 10th grader, uh, the way you described that just now, um, overwhelming was the word. I was yeah. overwhelmed with the love of Christ. I sat there under the towel, just covered my head, sobbing, mm. and yeah. um, just absolutely perplexed at the love of Christ. That's all I could say over and over was just just why. Why would you die for me, you know? And and um, the baptism, um, the years to follow of of that death to self. I mean, that, that seems to be kind of a common thread in a lot of our conversations, even, even on the side. And something, uh, admittedly to this day, you know, that I, I don't, aside from your own reading, it's, it's something you don't hear a lot of. Right. Uh, yeah. You don't hear that. I mean, everything in our society is, is self, 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 um, let alone actually, you know, losing, losing yourself. <laughs> um, uh, that was off. I was kind of going off there on a, on a tangent. Your actual question. Oh, that's okay. Was, um, yeah, along the lines of, of that desire to, I guess, see that, see that diversity again and, um, it's not even, it's certainly not chasing, chasing experiences. You know, it's, it's again, we're on this earth for, for a short time, although it's, you know, let's call it 75 years, whatever it is today, the average. Um, but you know, does it seem, does it seem more likely to be, you know, in, in one place for 75 years? Does it seem more probable that you should should be moving around? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it, it brings up a great question because like, for me, 
being the pastor of a small church, which is actually really funny. Like you were the you were the one I like. I I was just kind of upset. I'm like. Mike, there's no way I'm going to be a pastor because you kept calling me a pastor. And I'm like, there's no way. And I, I laid out the groundwork. I said, the only way I'm going to be a pastor is it's got to be a small church. It's got to be out in the middle of nowhere. It's got to have a bunch of old people in it. And sorry for those congregants who might listen to this podcast. You're much older than I am. But it was like a week later that this small church in a rural community said, hey, could you come down here and, and, and preach? And and I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, like, well, I guess I shouldn't open my mouth. But but you, you had mentioned, though, um, with Dave Wilkerson, the reason why I tell you that story is to basically segue to this is because we want to talk about like dying to self and 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 not really seeing that a whole often a whole lot often. That's something that that my congregation now like they they said they haven't even heard the gospel in about ten years. Like right. they they told me that the first weekend I go down there, they said if you come down here and just read the book of Matthew, that's more the gospel than we've had in this whole decade. And so let alone like dying to Christ. I mean. If I can read here from Philippians 1, so Paul's uh, writing to this church in Philippi, and he's, he's talking about like this, this, this direction of like he's torn. He's in this tension, and he says, you know, the, the famous phrase that we all know in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful label for me. Like, I'm, if I'm going to be here, I'm, I'm going to do great things because my message is to take Christ to the world. So it's going to produce good things. Right. But he says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And it's like, I, I've never met anyone. And maybe Dave Wilkerson would have, would have done this. But it's like, it, it's this realization that this is not my home. Right. We are gonna go home someday, and man, I I don't yeah. I don't know I don't see that type of commitment too often. Now, I'm not saying it's not there, but I think the unique challenge, at least domestically here in the U.S., is that you know, we have a such a comfortable life, and it's independent from the church. I mean, if we can leave, if you and I left the church today, we still have all of the quote unquote blessings, worldly blessings. So these other countries where the church is their livelihood, they get their their food and their clothing, their water from the church, be and and they have the closest family members they can trust. I mean that that is a lot more commitment than we have. And so if they leave the church, they don't actually have their livelihood. And and the way I look at my my church now is that they weren't even being fed the gospel, let alone being being challenged. Right. And and for us to actually push towards holiness, I mean that's what holiness is. It's coming to this realization that. My, my, my body, which you mentioned, this, it's a corrupted corrupted nature. We call it sin, and the prognosis of sin is death. But Christ comes in, saves us from that. And because we can't you know, touch Him, we can't see Him, we can't give Him a hug or express like, grati- grati- like gratitude like we could with like a parent or somebody who gave us a gift, you know, something like that, I, I wonder if, if those overwhelming moments that you experienced and I experienced... If those are just so foreign to people, because it's like it, it gets into this kind of like, well, you know, he, Jesus is real, but he's not like real, real. Like he's not right here with us, so it's kind of weird being grateful to like this ghost, you know. Do uh, you understand like maybe how yeah. some people have been taught? And and I don't, I don't know, I don't know if there's a lot of people you mentioned with Dave Wilkerson. Like how many people have you met in your life 
that when you look at them, you see the face of God. You see right. holiness. And and thing is, right. is it's a less it's less of that person. You don't see the person. Right. It's not about them anymore. Right. I don't know. It's and, and it's it's not an indictment on anyone. It's an indictment on myself first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's uh, and that's that's where we fail. I mean, we 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 look we look to men. I mean, we we look to other leaders. You know, yes. somebody else is going to step up and do this thing. Yeah, not not me. <laughs> you, you just just to interject, you're 100 percent right because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna read scripture, I'm also gonna put scripture, uh, you know, and and put it back to myself. Like it'd be it'd be foolish of me to point that out in other people, you know, and have this massive plank that's sticking out of my Correct. own eye. I have to start with myself, and I think that's what I'm so frustrated is that sometimes these moments are so fleeting. I wonder, am I doing it wrong? What's the difference between me and somebody like a Dave Wilkerson, and like. Because sometimes I'd like to think that I'm there, but then I know I'm not, and that my carnal nature gets the best of me. I, I, I yell at somebody, or I, I go off on somebody. It's like, well, clearly that was Jesus there in that moment. <laughs> it can be somewhat discouraging. You know? Yeah, it certainly can. And I'm sure everyone on the face of the earth has had those moments, yeah. including you know any of these patriarchs that we, we bring up, uh, whether it's all the way back to, to biblical characters or... You know, some of these people we've talked about in other discussions. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a whole other podcast is yeah. is uh, is our heroes. What do we do with our quote-unquote heroes right. uh, of the faith? And, you know, I, I've talked to my congregation extensively on if God is not at the center of your life, who or what is? Right. Because they can't, they can't exist in tension. Your allegiance is either fully to one or fully to the other. And Jesus is the one who said, "If you're not with me, you're against me." That's not some. That's not some movie quote. That's actually the words of Jesus. Right. And I'll tell you, there's been times in my life where I, that's I've been absolutely against him. Right. You know, even in my awareness, like, no, I know I'm going to do this. I, I know this is sinful, and I'm still going to do it anyway because I'm just that's what I want to do. Right. So, uh, man, these these are these are the things that unless you're praying. Reading scripture and you know and fasting. If you're not taking taking these to heart, I don't know how else God is going to soften soften your heart and humble you. Right. Otherwise, life is gonna is gonna come uh, going go by really quick, and you're gonna be stuck with you know what what's happened the last thirty years. Right. And your relationships are gonna crumble. I mean, where where is God at every day in your marriage with your kids? I mean, it's it's there. Right. It's present. Yeah, it's um, you know some other things that we I wanted to touch on. A lot of lot came to mind there when you were talking, but um, the church. You know, if earlier in one of your podcasts, it may have been your your second release there. I mean, you just talked about the fundamental disciplines of of prayer and fasting and reading scripture, and how it's an absolute necessity. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. I, I can't think of, of a, you know, any, any three things that, that someone could do to quote unquote achieve what we're, we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sad reality is that, you know, I think a very small percentage of people, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself, uh, don't, don't exercise those things. Um, I mean, how, how do we expect to, to hear from God if we're not, we're not giving him any time? Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> and we have a gazillion things vying for our time, myself included. Oh my goodness, yes! From beginning of the day to end, whether it, it starts at two a.m. or seven a.m., mm-hmm. 
uh, and whenever it ends. It's, uh, you'll have plenty of things pulling you in directions. Another thing that came to mind there when you were talking, if, you know, you talked about your congregation there, um, just desiring to hear Scripture. Um, that's both great and just incredibly sad to hear that they were not being fed that way. And I can, per- I can personally relate to that. Uh, again, it's, it's firstly out of my own uh, shortcomings, not getting fed myself in Scripture, but when you go to you know, a church building and expect and need, truly need, mm-hmm. whether you expect to or want to or not, uh, to, to hear the Word of God, you know, that needs to be happening. And, and when it doesn't, um, no, I, I, I don't want, I, I don't want to criticize the church because again, I'm going to criticize myself first and foremost. Um, but with, with the lack of reading, prayer, uh, fasting, these things that are fundamental to, to the Christian faith, Christian growth, uh, unfortunately not taking place in individual lives, if those things aren't being taught, you know, at a church level, uh, a building level, uh, what's, what's the alternative that these people are, are learning? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is you know, if, if they're not seeking these things themselves, I mean, where are they going to hear it if not ch- the church? Right. Because they're that's, gonna, that's my point. they're gonna go and seek it out. Uh, that's one of the biggest challenges to the youth of today, and especially with something in my, in in my young adult group that I lead at another church, is that millennials. We we covered this many years ago. Is the millennials is the fastest group of of people that were raised in the church that are leaving the church, and a lot of it comes back to a lot of these questions that we have. They deserve answers, but either out of fear or out of just willful ignorance, the church isn't answering well. I'm not saying that some churches aren't. Again, uh, from my experience growing up, a lot of these things were very taboo, and they were just assumed. They weren't taught as to why. And that's led them to, on on their own quest, and which a lot of people say rebellion, it's like, well, they're trying to seek these answers, and guess what? There are things in our society that are playing host to these things. Now, if we're the church and we believe what, you just said, and I agree with you, those aren't the healthiest answers to those questions. But they're at least having the debate. And when when the church doesn't talk about things, I mean, come on. I mean, nothing's new. Like, if we just read our Bible, like the propensity to sin is there. I, I'm just getting really sick and tired of the church being surprised by sin. It seems like we were like, oh, man, like I knew sin existed, but I just didn't realize it was that bad. Like, I don't. How? How do you not know? I, I guess I'd love to be that naive, right. to think that you no, know, this particular sin wasn't possible. I'm not talking about who is committing them because I think that's equally as surprising for sure. But I'm talking about just the sin itself and like why aren't we teaching why it's wrong? And here's the opposite. Here's what holiness looks like. And if we're not going to get those answers, people are going to leave and go anywhere they can. And and that's that's the saddest part. So in my my congregation they just want to hear the gospel it's been it's been amazing to see their response to it they're hungry for it and it's been so refreshing mm-hmm. and and so you know when, when you when you talk about like your kids and versus yourself that that's that's a very it's a rarity because well for one you're confident like I'm confident in in your ability to kind of weed out things that aren't, aren't really true because there's a lot of stuff out there that claims to be Christian 
but you're still putting your kids first, and I believe that's a God-honoring step. You and Jess, I know that you pray over your kids. I know you discuss things with your kids, and the fact that you have a church that they're plugged into, I think that is something God's going to reward you because your kids aren't going to be with you forever. Right. And if we never stop growing, this is a sacrifice right now. And the thing is, is that for the other people who don't have that luxury, who don't have a lot of churches, I'm just wondering what, what maybe the church can do and maybe what your advice is. Like, if you're struggling, if somebody's out there struggling, maybe because they're committed with a job, and maybe the content that the kids are getting versus the adults um, are, are getting is just a little bit different. Maybe they're being taught different things. Is, is there advice that you have for, for those people who are kind of, they're, they're torn, like maybe should we leave, shouldn't we leave? You know, and they've been praying and they just they just don't, they don't have a sense of direction. Do you have any experience or any advice for them who they, they're just, they fasted, they prayed, they read their Bible and it's kind of left up to them. You know, God will bless either decision, but they, they want to be able to talk with their kids about the, the content they're learning and what they're learning, but maybe there's a, there's a big, there's a gap a uh, knowledge gap there that exists. Do you do you have any advice for those people? You're talking about the church and the church specifically? Yeah, like what can the church do to help help those parents like or maybe hear them. It's like, "Hey, I I want my kids to learn this. I want our, our kids to learn these things that that we're learning in here or maybe the things that we're not addressing in church. Like my kids are being taught this at school. Can can we address it in a in a biblical way? Like do you have any advice for for how parents can interact maybe with their church church board yeah i mean that's it's definitely a hard question to answer and the reason probably is because the things that my children maybe will not seek from me answers from me come to me we certainly want to be those parents to where they feel they can come and discuss anything sure but you and I both know growing up, there were certain things that we didn't go to our parents oh, for. absolutely. Now, you know, there, there may even be certain things that we wouldn't go to another adult for. I get that. You know, there are certain things that you will seek out peer advice, whatever you want to call it. Um, that will always exist. But certainly there were topics that I was much more comfortable speaking with uh, a youth group leader about growing up. And... You know, I, I would have to give some thought to those things, what those specifically were. But as my kids kids age and experience adolescence, especially um, not diminishing the, the very young children, but the, the things they begin to deal with, yeah. you know, in their teenage years um, and, and just, you know, be confronted with their eyes are open to things. You could watch a movie as a six year old and not pick up on a lot of subtleties and then watch the same movie as an adult and be like, why didn't my parents yeah. let me watch that film? It happens all the time. So your yeah. eyes are certainly, you know, you, 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 you're attuned to much, much more, uh, the older you get. So, uh, you know, I, I would say for those parents, it's the reason I truly value the church building the most. I've asked you probably more than three times and you probably give me three phenomenal answers. They may have been the same, maybe not. You know, I've asked, asked the purpose of Sunday morning church. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the church body, but Sunday morning church, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what is it? Um, you know, regular meetings. I see that a time to worship together, uh, regular meetings. Um, but for my children, those, those relationships, being developed, that trust being developed during these formative years 
And if it's not me they're coming to for those questions, I want to have faith in the people that are leading them, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they would potentially be able to go to them. So it's, it's not that I'm looking for the church to raise my children. You know, when we go to a youth group or, 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 or pick where we're attending, you know, at, at a time or wherever God leaves us, it's, it's not that we're, we're dumping them off and expecting them to get their, their one day a week, one hour lesson. That's mm-hmm. not where they're getting it. You know, fortunately, we've made decisions. Again, it's, it's every decision. Everyone's situation is different. You know, if you're a single mom out there, you know, you don't have the luxury of uh, potentially homeschooling your child and really playing a huge part in that in that growth. You've exactly, got the evenings, yeah. I understand, but um, point being, the more you can surround your children and yourself with these people who are seeking God mm-hmm. and, and that direction and have that wisdom, um, undoubtedly your, your child's going to be, you know, uh, raised raised and, and much more likely to, to uh, uh, make those decisions that uh, are God-honoring and, and, and pursue Christ, you know, during, during their walk. Um, yes, yeah, specifically, though, I... And it's a difficult question. It is. And, and that's a great perspective. And maybe it's not something that needs to be, needs to be answered. You don't have to have an answer, and, and neither do I. That's the best part. Sure. And you know, that, that is something for, you know, for all of us to be thinking about, is what, what role do we have in the spiritual development of our children? Are we just going to project that and leave that to the church? Right. Uh, for me, I I can completely relate to what you're saying because there was some some things that I was dealing with that I was ashamed of, and I didn't know how to talk to my mom and dad about it. Right. I want to talk to a pastor because it just made it a little bit easier, you know. Right. And and for me, I'm glad I had that outlet. And I at least in youth group, growing up for me, the biggest topic that we talked about, like this is high school youth group, was was sex. We talked about you know here's what it is. You know, not, not, and that's beyond like the medical, like, um, sure. like health class you get in high school or, or just regular school. Like I'm talking about like, why is, why do we spiritually, why does the church take this viewpoint? Here are the dangers, not just the medical dangers, but here is what happens spiritually from, from testimonies from other adults who came in and were vulnerable right. and, and then, then married couples that came in and, and testified to why like virginity, for example, keeping that was, was so important and how, like sex has been used in their marriage and as a blessing, and because they they chose to to wait, you know, th- this was the great things that happened. And then the other side, people who were living a a very very carnal lifestyle, and came to Christ after the fact, and and they talked about how God worked in their lives, you know, afterwards, and how He delivered them from that shame. And so mm-hmm. we got to see a lot of different sides on on the biggest pressing topic uh, for any teenager going through right. puberty and, and, and learning about things and being, uh, being shown videos, whether you want to be shown videos or not from your buddies in the hallway and everything, you, like you're just bombarded. And where's the church right, right in that? And unfortunately for me, I, I pretty, you know, I could have articulated why I never wanted, had any desire to be with a girl that way and why I want to save myself for marriage. I could have articulated myself pretty young because it was pretty much beaten into me, not, not as a source of shame, but sure. saying this is dangerous. We understand and want to affirm the feelings that you're having and the urges you have, but here's why you're having them. Here's what it's designed for, and here is what God will use 
uh, well, I'll say, here's what God can do if you uh, respect it and use it what it's what it's for. And it was just eye-opening because it was so refreshing. There was no fear in those right. conversations. And so my parents didn't have to, they didn't have to worry, I guess. it was The burden wasn't just on them, but it didn't stop at the church. It wasn't like one time a week and I came home and heard something else. I, I was able to approach my parents with this information and say, hey, I learned about this. Why did why did Pastor So and So say this? Right, and and that all that stems from the church being active, but also parents being active in the spiritual lives right. of well, their I'm kids. I'm sure both in teaching and and maybe equally as important modeling. I mean, you would mm-hmm. hear about the, the sacrament, you know, of marriage, and then you get to literally witness it. And if it was playing out the way it was supposed taught. to, <laughs> yeah. And and thing is, this is interesting. Have your kids, you know, as you guys, you and Jess have played a role in in your kids' spiritual development. And it's something I'm going to talk to, to your wife about is like the decision to homeschool. With that authenticity, I mean, I know my parents, the the, the first parallel of marriage, what I thought it was is, well, my mom and dad love each other. They, they, they have arguments, but they're still together. And over the course of the last 26 years, I've, I've seen the, the beauties, I've seen the, the ugly side sometimes of marriage. But it's that long-standing commitment, and right. and that's the biblical parallel for me. That's been the the biggest modeling, mm-hmm. um, which you had mentioned. So how how do you deal with those conversations, with your kids? Have you have your kids seen you and Jess argue in front of one another? And oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and again, the older they get, in the same same token, the older they get, uh, I think the more they come to to understand and and have curiosities and want to, yeah, want to really understand what's going on in those situations. Not so much even, I'm not even referring to arguing so much because we just never argue. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, you know, they get to hear some verbal exchanges every now and then. Yeah. But uh, even when it comes to looking at relationships, you know, whether it be um, friends or family members that we're close to uh, that aren't modeling, you know, Christian, Christian relationships with the opposite sex, um, they ask they're very intuitive. You know, they, they ask those questions mm-hmm. and yeah, you better be, be able to give an answer. Be prepared. Yeah. Um, and those have come up uh, certainly with my eldest three, you know, on numerous occasions. Uh, and we've had the opportunity to, to, you know, open up scripture or, or teach on those things. Um, and they have, you know, a, a very high level of understanding and they, they, they understand that, that teaching. Um, what else did you ask there, Michael? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I just like, how, how do you deal uh, with the, in those moments where your kids are, are seeing that like raw nature of your marriage? Yeah. Like, how does that turn into a teaching moment to your kids? Sure. Um, you know, I, I can't pretend that they would have a full understanding of it now. I'm sure as you've aged, you've had a, a greater appreciation for the relationship that you and your uh, your mother and your your father have absolutely yeah. Um, so I, I certainly don't know that they they would grasp it wholly, but um, it, whether it's relationship or any any answer, uh, you know, it's something. I don't even want to make light of this. I remember a sibling of mine asking early on. She was just paying a nice compliment to Jordan uh, as a relatively young boy. Uh, you know, showing some some higher level of intelligence and just mm-hmm. kind of thought he was a neat kid and, and was just asking advice on, on, you know, why is that? And I'm not going to pinpoint it to any one mm-hmm. thing. I mean, we're, you know, pouring ourselves into this kid, you know, from the day he was born 
as are several other people, mm-hmm. you know, that we surround him with. That's what I was getting at with, you know, the, the earlier saying that, I mean, surround yourself with as many great people as possible. Yeah. Um, not looking to them as the source of their, their teach, the only source of their teaching, but when they're outside of your, your guidance, you know, you want them to be around yeah. uh, phenomenal people. Um, but I, I digress there. Um, I was saying... Uh, one thing she asked, I said something specifically that just came to mind at the time. This was 10 years ago. Um, and that was basically give a detailed answer whenever you're asked a question. That sounds simple and, and yeah, why wouldn't you? When you have kids, <laughs> they will ask you 10,000 questions a day. <laughs> yes. I never told my kid to shut up and go sit in the corner, mm. you know, and not give them an answer. Sure. Um, and that's remains true from the beginning until now, it's just that now the questions get more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't always have the answers. But even in those those times like that, it's not, you know, if, if my children were ever to hear us in an argument, we, we have tight quarters and a lot of kids in our house. So sure. It's, anything, it's anyone inevitable. that's having an argument is going to hear it. Yeah. Um, we don't pretend like it never happened. <laughs> right. You know, the kids, we tuck our kids into bed, you know, not the oldest. Jordan would, would be just blushing if, <laughs> if he heard me say that. But, um, you know, the, the younger children we tuck into bed and we, we address those things. Oh, okay. And we yeah. have, we have regular prayer time and, and scripture reading together. And there's always, as long as you're reading scripture, there's always opportunity to, uh, speak outside the actual context of what was going on and, and relate it to something that's going mm-hmm. on, you know, in their lives or in our household. So it sounds like you're not shying away from transparency. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the bottom line is where there's, uh, I don't even want to say there's too much of it. You know, there's, it's, it, it's very transparent. And I'd like to think that when my, you know, son or daughter is, is your age, they'll have a deeper level of understanding and appreciation for the way they were, were raised and, and, you know, the modeling that they, they saw. Um, well, I mean, again, I, I certainly can testify to that. They will. Yeah. It's, they will. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's not, there's no one size fits all and one, one mold for everybody. So, you know, our decisions to do things, major things like homeschool, that was a day by day, year by year, continues to be. You know, we pray about our, our children's future in, in, in education, mm-hmm. and um, it will change, and it won't be the same for every one of them. I, I doubt it will be. Um, that mold that I thought everyone was going to fit, you know, 15 years ago, I, I doubt it will be the case. But, you know, we seek those things, and we follow that piece. Uh, you've made a lot of decisions recently yourself and talked about, you know, you know following that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I mean, I commend you. I think the world of you. And for doing this, I mean, you're tackling these issues that we've talked about now for two and a half years. Right. You know, I'm excited yeah. to hear uh, what your more educated guests uh, uh, will will have to say. And it's it's something that needs to be done. It's it's not again an indictment necessarily on the church at large, but certainly people. Whether it's you know my youth, uh, my my four year old Benjamin, uh, or you know, a teen or adult seeking things, they're going to be, they're looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And and somebody has to be able to give them biblical, you know, sound answers. And I know you're one of those rare voices. So I'm excited to, uh, for, for you, for your future in this. And um, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for. I'm just in it for the Linair sponsorship. To be honest, <laughs> looking for that support. Look at and, some sweatshirts over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I I'll tell you that like just having you on and hearing those words. So thank you for the affirmation yeah. there. And I don't take pride in the fact that I I'll say I have to do this. Uh, this is definitely a calling. Absolutely. That, and well, the po- willingness to well, follow the calling is something though. Yeah, well, that, that is something. But <laughs> but it, it it has to be. You know, it has to be me receding into the background, and sure. and that's the best part is that I get to bring on people much smarter than me who know the answer to these questions because these are questions I have, sure. I, and and I don't know them. I don't have no idea what it means to be a parent. I don't know what it means to raise kids, to choose to homeschool them, to to have those difficult conversations. I have no idea, mm-hmm. and and I you know I'm a single guy, but I I have friends who are expecting. I have friends who you know their their kids can't talk yet, but once they can. They're going to be presented with these challenges, and if I, as a single guy, have these questions, I know they do, and churches sometimes get so big, or, you know, churches are sometimes so small where there's not as much resources in the smaller churches, or the big churches are just a number, it kind of gets lost, Mm -hmm. and with people who have full-time jobs as a pastor, but also have a family themselves, do they have hours upon hours upon hours to give away in counseling? Right. And, and talking to the parents, I don't know the answer to that. So what I want to do is maybe provide an out, out, outlet and a platform for certain people to, to come and listen. Like sure. you, like the people I interview, like that's my intended audience in a way. Like I want you know somebody like you, like some of your friends, Jerry comes to mind. Like I'd like to him, I'd like to have him listen to this and and his wife and and their friends. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I get get the two listeners. Uh, and so, like when I when I look at what we're trying to do here, you know, podcasts. There's a million out there. Sure. Uh, but in our immediate area here, maybe to hopefully put a a local spin on at least what we're dealing with, and wherever this goes, you know, hopefully that linear sponsorship can can come in later. <laughs> um, the last thing I, I have to ask you because we are now finally into 2021. 2020 was a pressing year. Uh, we had to make some difficult decisions here at work, and are still living with those you know, those those difficult decisions as far as transitions. Uh, we've, we've seen impacts uh, on families around us. But it's interesting because, you know, personally for me uh, and for you, I know 2020 like, overall was a great year. It wasn't, there wasn't like a lot of bad things. There were challenges like everyone else. But, you know, summing it up for yourself, you, you did a lot of things. You did some moving. You did some experimenting. From a Christian perspective, what, what were some things you learned from 2020 now transitioning to this new year? Like, what, what were some of your takeaways? Well, I mean, anytime you're faced with, you know, trying trying times like we were in 2020, it really just puts a spotlight on, you know, where you're putting your hope, your trust, your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that's what it, it boiled down to for me is you've got – we have so much information, so many voices, you know, competing for our our attention, and you know, it, it, it's 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 you know, what's that scripture, Michael, where the the voice of God didn't come in all the noise, you know, and it came in that still still small whisper, yeah, he was you know, in the cave, yeah, uh, David, but um, it it's it's cutting through all of that, and. And really hearing the voice of God. I mean, you're you're either going to. We saw it. You know, we we saw people. Again, you know, we're all guilty of looking to men. I mean, we look for for answers and ways to solve problems. And these are all good things. I mean, 
whether it was the pandemic or uh, you know the the rioting, uh, shootings, et cetera, et cetera, uh, political stuff. It's um, you know where are you putting your your hope, hope and your trust, mm -hmm. and and whose voice are you listening to, and who are you pursuing, who are you seeking, um, and the decisions you're making, you know whether small or big, like we've talked about throughout this whole whole time together. Um, you know what what are the motives? Are they fear based? You know, it's it's just rampant in our culture. You know, everybody's out there looking for for answers, and they're going to get a answer somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're going to get an yep. answer from somebody. I mean, internet exists for a reason. <laughs> and I'll just say before you go on, for those listening who are yelling at us right now, First Kings nineteen, God's revelation to Elijah. Excuse me, God's revelation to Elijah. There I can't even go. talk at this point. It's a long day at work. Um, sorry, as you were saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, 2020 from, like you said there, at least at least from a business standpoint, you know, we, we certainly had some difficult decisions to make this year. Uh, I've got a lot going on outside of our work together. Mm -hmm. um, and those decisions, again, were, were, you know, somewhat difficult to make. But um, there's not been really a thing in 2020 I'm going to say that has, has rattled or rocked, you know, me or, or anyone in my family. Um, you know, the younger ones, again, don't have a full understanding of what's going on, nor do they, they really know entirely sure. what's happening. Um, but uh, at least with the pandemic, certainly they, they know a lot because they're forced to, to go around our community, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and see visu visibly what's, what's happening with people wearing, wearing masks and getting sick, et cetera. Um, but no, I'd say that, that 2020 really, um, more than anything, those things I just mentioned, I mean, whose, whose voices are we seeking, you know, and, uh, how do you cut through it all and really, really hear from God? Yeah. Really press in and, and hear from God and then follow God in those, those small decisions, those big decisions. Um, you know, it's, what's marked what's marked at least, you know, the time I've been with, with my wife, I won't claim to, to say that so much in my youth, but, uh, ever since, uh, high school and on, um, you know, that's been, been my desire and, and I, you know, I'm not really distracted by a lot going on in the peripheral. Mm -hmm. It's not easily, easy to distract me from, <laughs> well, from the prize. Yeah. Well, that's that's very refreshing to hear because that's kind of how it's supposed to be. If our yeah. if our Christian walk is somehow, you know, you know, impacted by what's going on in the in the world, sure. I'll say like as far as our faith, not how we do ministry, but the the fact that we take joy in the in the fact that Christ is overall. But if our actions betray that. And it can expose our allegiances. I remember it comes right. back to who's at the center, and it, and and for you, I can I I'll absolutely testify to the fact that this calm, cool, steady thing. It's like no matter what's happened, it's like man, I got some more important things to do. I got my family, and my family is all that I need, and I have so much peace in that because God's blessed me with it. A beautiful, beautiful wife, beautiful children, and that's what I'm called to first. And that's gonna. That's always gonna be there. It's not like right. if the world is better, it's somehow like that just doesn't mean anything. They're they're independent from sure. one another, and that's what's really refreshing. So, in a in a way, I knew the what your answer was gonna be in a way before I right. asked it, and I, I hope that for other people listening to this, that 
that 2020 kind of a year of, of, of humbling because it's like it really did expose what we put our faith and trust and hope in. Is it, is it each other? Is it other members of the church? Or is it myself even? And I don't think emotions had any role to play in last year at all, <laughs> say facetiously. Right. No. Well, uh, I listen, I, I'll have to do this with you again. Uh, this, I, don't, I don't know when we can do it, but you're the first on the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. I, I'm so honored to have you on here. It fell in the fact that I had to fill the time and the space for the first episode. So <laughs> you're my first and, and last, uh, last option. I, I'm, I'm kidding. The, uh, thank you so much for being able to set some time aside because uh, time management, I would say, is pretty critical for somebody like you. Yeah, I was a little mate, late to our meeting here, oh. and I apologize. It's, 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 it's okay. It's busy, but I am honored to be on. I am 100% behind you. Um, I, I very much believe in what you're doing and, and don't doubt God's calling on your life and you're, you're following him. It's, uh, very encouraging to see at such a young age. And I will give a shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Crable because this guy is phenomenal. You did an amazing job with him. And, uh, I can only hope my kids will, will be half the man that Michael is here. So we're, we're excited. Stop. And this is where I'll edit it out and just say that, uh, Mike's nose is growing and he's just saying that. <laughs> But sliding the tissues over here to Michael <laughs> right now. Well, 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 thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I'm yes. I'm so grateful. Thank you, yeah, for for this workplace, this opportunity that we can we can be here and uh, two and a half years. That's been insane. We know, know each other. It's finally happened. We finally hit record on it. And uh, my blessings uh, to you, sir. I'll, you. Even though I'll see you uh, tomorrow at work, but <laughs> it's not like it's a big farewell. Right. But uh, for for the podcast, I want to have you back on and and hopefully uh, we'll, we can discuss some more things and um, your your insight. As uh, I will, this is not, this is the best compliment I can say as a commoner, as, as a as somebody who has not seeked to be remarkable, who is just doing what God has asked them. I think people will take so many lessons from from this podcast because you're not so you don't have a book to sell, you don't have a podcast to plug, you don't have a YouTube channel that you're on. You're just you, and I think that's what people need more than anything. Let me take care of the podcast and the YouTube channel, all that stuff. (laughs) Sounds good, right? Gladly. Yeah. All right, buddy. Hey, yeah, yeah, you have a good night, sir. And uh, I hope you have, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your 2021 spiritually. All right. Likewise. All right. Thank you so much to Mike Perry and his willingness to sit down and discuss some of these broader topics that I believe are so important and imperative to today's church culture. And if you guys really enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. Uh, let us know how we're doing. And if you ever have any questions, uh, comments, or suggestions for some material that you would like, please email the show at wsnspodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate you guys so much. This is not possible without your support and your prayers. I just ask that they continue. And here's to many more interviews like that one in 2021.